Martin Luther was a man whose heart was held captive to the Word of God. He was used mightily by God to usher in the Protestant Reformation, which would serve to recover the core truths of the Gospel that had been obscured by medieval religion and superstition. Here's a brief biography of the man who sparked the Reformation. Martin Luther was born on November 10, 1483, in Eisleben, Germany, to Margaret and Hans Luther, which was the original pronunciation. Hans worked in the mining industry, even owning a few copper mines, but he wanted something better for his son. Martin was sent off to boarding school and then to the University of Erfurt. He was an excellent student. He soon earned both a bachelor's and a master's degree and seemed to be well on his way to success as a law student. But about a month into his legal studies, on the 2nd of June, 1505, Luther was on his way back to school from his parents' home when he was caught in a violent thunderstorm. The storm grew more intense and Luther became afraid for his life. Suddenly, a lightning bolt struck near him, throwing him violently to the ground. Luther cried, help me, Saint Anne, I will become a monk. Luther's life was spared and, much to the displeasure of his father, Luther entered the monastery two weeks later to begin a new life as an Augustinian monk. As a monk, Luther sought earnestly to find acceptance from God. Like others in his day, Luther believed the Catholic Church's teaching on how people are to be saved, not by God's grace alone, but by God's grace enabling you to do the work necessary to earn your own salvation. Here's a snapshot of the medieval view of salvation. You were born in sin, but then you were baptized, which brought you into a state of grace. However, none of us could stay in that state of grace for long, and eventually we sin, which leads to this cycle of confessing to a priest and doing acts of penance to return you to a state of grace. Hopefully you die in a state of grace, and at that point you do not proceed directly to heaven, but you go to purgatory, where your remaining sins are purged, making you fit for God's heavenly realm. But Luther had no confidence in his ability to remain in a state of grace. He was terrified of God's wrath. He was racked with uncertainty about his ability to earn God's favor through his works. What could he do to try and ease his troubled conscience? Well, work harder seemed to be the answer. Luther said, When I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fasting, vigils, prayers, and other rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my works. He began to see Christ not as a loving Savior, but as a harsh and terrible judge. This is why Luther wearied himself and others nearly to death. He would be in the confessional for hours at a time and then, after leaving, would return again due to some unconfessed sin or to confess that he had not quite been sorrowful enough in his previous confession. An exasperated mentor of his in the monastery said, Brother Martin, why don't you go out and commit some real sins and come back when you have something to confess? Luther was as diligent a monk as you could hope to find. He would later look back at this period of his life and say, If ever a monk could get to heaven by his monkery, it was I. But he was obviously in great distress about his spiritual condition. What were they to do with Brother Martin? The decision was made in 1510 to send Martin Luther to Rome. The trip was intended to restore his spirits and allow him to visit the sacred sites and holy relics. 
This would serve to rejuvenate him, and venerating the relics would give him an opportunity to earn indulgences. An indulgence was an act of service or a donation to the church that was accompanied by a promise on behalf of the Pope to reduce your time in purgatory, where those who would be bound for heaven were first purged of their sins in order to enter into God's presence. The idea was that the church would take excess merit from Christ and the saints from the treasury of merit and apply it to your account. A partial indulgence would reduce time in purgatory. A plenary indulgence would eliminate it altogether. As excited as Luther was when he began his journey, he was quickly disillusioned by the gaudy wealth and sinful lifestyles of the priests in Rome. Visiting the relics and sacred sites didn't help either. When Luther went up the Scala Sancta, the supposed steps where Christ walked up to meet Pontius Pilate, on his knees, praying and kissing each step as was prescribed, all he could say when he reached the top was, who knows whether this is true. The doubts about the church's teachings began to take root. He returned to Erfurt more despondent than ever. Even so, he was transferred to the University of Wittenberg to become a professor. Here he began to truly study scripture and he began to search diligently for how sinful man could be made right before God. From 1513 to 1517, he studied and taught through the books of Psalms, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. Meanwhile, the question of indulgences continued to bother Luther. These blessings that the church supposedly gave out of the treasury of merit were now able to be acquired in exchange for money, donated as a sign of repentance to massive building projects, such as St. Peter's Basilica, which was begun in 1506. What's more, indulgences could be acquired on behalf of the dead. For Luther, this was just too much. The most famous peddler of these indulgences was a slick salesman named Johann Tetzel, whose famous line, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs, was enough to cause many peasants to give of their limited means to help free themselves or a loved one from years of torment. Tetzel would go from town to town crying out, Don't you hear the voices of your dead parents and other relatives crying out? Have mercy on us, for we suffer great punishment and pain. From this you could release us with a few alms. We have created you, fed you, cared for you, and left you our temporal goods. Why do you treat us so cruelly and leave us to suffer in the flames when it takes only a little to save us? The illegitimacy of indulgences on behalf of the dead is why Luther decided to post the 95 Theses. On October 31, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. This single act, though not particularly unusual or defiant, would reverberate across countries, across continents, and across centuries. This was the act which sparked the Protestant Reformation, and it was the Protestant Reformation that brought light into darkness and recovered the core truths of the gospel, obscured by medieval religion. Luther wanted to have an earnest theological discussion about whether issuing indulgences on behalf of the dead was biblical or approved by the Pope. At this point, he did not question indulgences altogether or purgatory or the primacy of the Pope. In fact, he defended the Pope and assumed the Pope would put a stop to this shady sale of indulgences. He said, basically, if this were true and the Pope could let people out of purgatory, why in the name of love would he not just let everyone out? Luther was not trying to cause trouble. This was an academic and a theological issue. 
His 95 theses were written in Latin, not the language of the people. Without his knowledge or his permission, these theses were translated by some of his students from Latin to German and distributed. Thanks to the new technology of the printing press, within two weeks nearly every village in Germany had a copy. The idea soon took hold and storm clouds began to loom on the horizon. As tensions mounted with the church authorities, Luther's inner turmoil about sin and salvation continued. All at once, as if reading it for the first time, Luther came to understand the full meaning of Romans 1, verse 17, which says, For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Luther said of his revelation, At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely, by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely, the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, He who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by prayers or fasting or pilgrimages or sacraments. Righteousness before God is not earned by our works, but it's a gift from God to us received by faith is what Luther would come to call a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness that comes from outside of us. It is Christ's righteousness applied to us through faith. Luther was overjoyed, but this gospel truth of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, and not of works, immediately brought Luther into even greater contention with Catholic doctrine. So what was he to do? Should he ignore scripture to obey the church, or should he challenge the church? to obey Scripture. Rather than being subject to both sacred Scripture and sacred tradition, as the Church taught, Luther believed that we are to be subject to Scripture alone, and that Scripture has the authority to correct the traditions when they are in error. He said, A simple layman armed with Scripture is to be believed above a pope or a council. For the sake of Scripture, we should reject pope and council. In the coming months, Luther went on to declare that salvation was by grace alone and not by works that the church was not infallible, that Jesus Christ, and not the Pope, was the head of the church, and that priests and the sacraments were not necessary to receive God's grace. A war of words ensued. A papal bull, or edict, called Luther to repent and threatened him with excommunication or being kicked out of the church. On December 10, 1520, Luther burned that papal bull. This was tantamount to treason. Luther wrote many more theological works, many of which spoke against the sacramental system of the Roman Church. Luther declared, No Christian believer can be forced to believe an article of faith beyond Holy Scripture. Well, on April 17, 1521, Luther was summoned to the Diet of Worms, an imperial council held in Worms, Germany, which would decide the fate of this troublesome monk. The Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, 
presided over the affair. There was a large table with all of Luther's writings on it. The Roman officials demanded to know if these were his writings and whether or not he would recant. Luther had expected to debate his ideas, not be forced to recant them. He asked for a day to consider the matter. If he recanted, his life would be saved. If he did not, he would be declared a heretic, which was a death sentence in those days. Although he had a letter granting him safe passage to and from Worms, when this expired, he knew he could be killed by anyone and they would not be punished. The civil government would likewise put him to death, as they had countless others who had crossed Rome. After much prayer, Martin Luther returned to the council and boldly declared, Unless you can convince me by scripture, and not by popes or councils who have often contradicted each other, unless I am so convinced that I am wrong, I am bound to my beliefs by the text of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Therefore, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. No up. God help. Amen. Luther took a stand that his highest authority was going to be the Word of God, regardless of what the church taught. After leaving the Diet of Worms, in order to protect his life, his friends kidnapped Luther and hid him away in Wartburg Castle. Here he hid for ten months in disguise. He grew a beard and took the name of Junker George or Knight George. But hiding doesn't quite convey the tremendous amount of work that Luther was doing at Wartburg. He was not simply laying low. During his time in exile, Luther undertook the translation of the New Testament into the language of the German people. Remember that at this time, Scripture was only available in Latin. Whether you were English or German or French or Spanish, your Bible was in Latin, the Latin Vulgate, the Bible that Jerome had produced in A.D. 380. But the people couldn't speak Latin. And the clergy were not well trained in Latin. Reading and studying scripture was something reserved only for the academics and the elite. Luther did not simply take the Vulgate and translate the Latin into German. No, he went back to the original sources, ad fontes, as they say, to the fount. He translated his German New Testament out of the original Greek. Within three months, Luther had translated the whole of the New Testament. This is an amazing feat, even more so considering the monumental impact that this translation would have on the German people. For the first time, an ordinary believer could read the Bible for themselves. Luther was helped by his friend and fellow reformer Philip Melanchthon, a much better Greek scholar than him, and having begun the New Testament in November or December of 1521, completed it in March of 1522, just before he left Wartburg Castle to return to Wittenberg. After some revising, the German New Testament was made available in September of 1522. Luther immediately set to work on translating the Old Testament. The first five books, the Pentateuch, appeared in 1523 and the Psalms were finished in 1524. By 1534, the entire Bible had been translated. This was not the first German translation, but it was the finest and became the primary Bible for the German people. Luther knew that for the people to return to the truth of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they needed scripture in their own language. 
If Luther had done nothing else, had never preached a sermon, had never written a treatise, had never insulted a pope, and never had taken a stand at Worms, his translating of scripture into German would have propelled the Reformation onward. Because the Bible was no longer in a foreign language but the language of the people, the Reformation was not dependent on the works of any of the Reformers, but dependent instead on the Word of God. The people consumed the Word at a phenomenal rate. One Wittenberg printer sold about 100,000 copies in 40 years, which is an enormously large number at that age, and these copies were read and reread by millions of Germans. Church historian Philip Schaff said, The richest fruit of Luther's leisure in the Wartburg and the most important and useful work of his whole life is the translation of the New Testament, by which he brought the teaching and example of Christ and the apostles to the mind and hearts of the Germans. He made the Bible the people's book in church, school, and house. Luther would not disagree with this statement. He said, Let them destroy my works. I deserve nothing better, for all my wish has been to lead souls to the Bible, so they may afterwards neglect my writings. Great God, if we had a knowledge of Scripture, what need would there be of any books of mine? Translating Scripture into the language of the common people would become a hallmark of the Protestant Reformation, with translations in Spanish, French, English, and many other languages following close behind. From a budding lawyer to a neurotic monk to a bold reformer, Martin Luther's life had a powerful impact on the Protestant Reformation and the whole of world history. All the remaining years of Luther's life were dedicated to helping the fledgling Reformation take hold, and take hold it did, thanks in large part to the preaching, teaching, and writing of Luther, the theology of the Reformation spread throughout Germany and to other countries in Europe. Martin Luther, whose heart was held captive by the Word of God and who was used by God to usher in the Protestant Reformation, died on February 18, 1546 in Eisleben, the city of his birth. When he died, over half a million copies of the Luther Bible were in circulation, and his works and writings had begun the Reformation. Luther left us a complex and sometimes controversial legacy. In this overview, I don't mean to ignore the fact that he said and wrote a lot of things we would disagree with. But it is clear that, despite his faults, he was used greatly by God to restore Scripture to its proper place of authority in the life of the church and in the life of the individual believer. Luther was emboldened to risk his life for the truth that Scripture alone is to be our ultimate authority in all spiritual matters. This doctrine came to be known as sola scriptura. It is for this reason that the Protestant Reformation was able to continue spreading even after his death. As bold a leader as Luther was, the Reformation was not about a cult of personality. It was a movement to return to the truth of Scripture. Looking back at his life prior to his death, Luther remarked, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did it all. Amen.
Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.